Hey, my name is Crispina French and promoting creative textile reuse is my jam. I'm an OG textile alchemist, worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s. That college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business and here I am today to show you how to do it too. Stick around for all the things helping to navigate both the chaotic and dreamy chapters of building your profitable textile upcycling business. We'll talk material sourcing, business savvy, product development, marketing, and self-care. Gloss over the hard parts? Not here. Experience, lessons, and know-how. Deep dive into the struggles, wins, and rewards of running your sustainable textile upcycling business. Think of this as your favorite craft class mixed with environmental business school. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Today's episode of Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by Sideshow Clothing on Etsy and in person in Craryville, New York. Are you a burgeoning fashion icon who delights in your individual style? Maybe you have a penchant for really good clothing, a love of creative presentation, and respect for our life-giving planet. Or if you are like me, you like to wear well-made clothing to handle your daily grind and stand up to the test of time. Sideshow Clothing has what you need. Vintage workwear, boots galore, jackets, dresses, ethnic and Western wear, the works. Mary curates this creamy collection of inventory, some dating back over a hundred years, but mostly fashions from the 1970s through the 1990s. If you want to honor the quality of well-made clothing and stand out in the crowd, check out sideshowclothing.com where you will find an anecdote to fast fashion and so much more. Hello, Rags to Riches, Textile Upcycling Podcast listeners. I am so excited to introduce you to Nicole Snow today. Nicole is the accidental CEO of Darn Good Yarn. And we are going to dive right in. And Nicole, tell me what that means. How did you become the accidental CEO of Darn Good Yarn? I joke with people because I've had the business now for almost 15 years. And so I was, and I'm using air quotes, an entrepreneur back when like the word entrepreneur meant you were not employable. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't, it was before it became the cool kid thing to, to be an entrepreneur. And you're like, I'm going to go start my own business. So it was before your Shopify's and your Etsy and you just sort of, you know, felt your way through the dark. Um, so that's why I say it's accidental. And I also, and just in terms of like how I think about the business and how it started, it was never out to make profit. It was just like, oh, if I can make a little bit of cash. But I worked two other jobs when I started Darn Good Yarn. Um, and it's like, I'm just when I, even when I read like Ink Magazine and, you know, sort of the business publications, I'm sort of like, I always joke about sitting in the back of the church. Like I'm in the last pew. I'm like, I buy into it, but I'm like still a hippie, cr crunchy mama at the end of the day. <laughs> which I love. So I didn't, um, I didn't really explain too much about darn good yarn um, as that introduction, but I love your business. And I, I kind of stumbled across you online. Um, I think it was about a year ago and um, just been following you kind of from the periphery, from that back pew. I think I'm in the back pew with you there. Um, 
learning about what you do. And, you know, I have to confess that I have this, I'm a, I have this little kind of like, uh, discomfort with people producing overseas, right? Like when I had, I had a, I ran a production company for 22 years and people would often say to me at trade shows or whatever, like, Oh, I could help you produce your product in China or India or Bangladesh or wherever. And I was always like, um, not really that interested for me. It was about producing here because that's where I was. Right. Right. But the thing I love about darn good yarn is that you're producing this beautiful, pretty much silk based, although I know you work with other fibers as well, but you're producing in India because the material is produced in India. Right. So talk to me a little bit about your production process. Tell me how that works. Yeah. So if anyone doesn't know about Darn Good Yarn, so it's like we have yarn as half the business and craft supplies because I um, am a yarnaholic. Hi, my name's <laughs> And then um, I added in, I guess like seven, eight years ago, some lines of apparel that are still made from the same uh, repurposed material. And a lot of it's sorry material um, that you'll see if you're not familiar, like most women in Southeast Asia are wearing it. It's like the super long piece of fabric and they're gorgeous colors and they're sometimes bedazzled. So it's, it's a lot different than what we get here in the U S and I, I totally like get the idea of um, producing domestically versus overseas. And I, I get that question I, especially when I started, I, I mean, people weren't nice about it. They were like, you should be giving jobs to people here in the U.S. And I'm like, but I'm one person and I know that my dollar goes a lot further in that country than it does here. Um, and it's just, it's completely different. Like I, and my goal when I started Darn Good Yarn, um, I just wanted to create 10 sustainable jobs in Nepal at that point. And I said, I couldn't do that in the U.S. Like when I was here in the U.S. and just from a business perspective, I didn't hire my first employee here who was part time until I was at a quarter million dollars in revenue. So you have to think about like what kind of leap I had to go from zero to that. That took me like four and a half, five years to get to that first part time person. Whereas in this country, understanding caste discrimination, gender discrimination, super high unemployment rates. Um, I really try to mesh together, I guess, my understanding of the world and how I want to lead it, like leave an impact. So um, I'm ex-Air Force. I was an Air Force officer um, learning about, you know, anti-terrorism and things like this and seeing where that really does come from. When you really dig in, a lot of it comes from desperation where they don't have high quality economic systems. And then what happens? You start to look around, you're like, I don't like the world. And that continues to, it just sends ripples into society, into a society's fabric. And so when I say, you know what, if we can create economic sustainability for an individual of people, and I focused on women because that there's been plenty of studies that show that women will keep money in their communities. That's where I focused in on. And I started with yarn and it's just, it's grown like in its own little weird way. I mean, I literally though have picked the hardest thing to sell online because I always joke, I'm like, I'm selling trash that's super crazy colored to Americans. And like most of my homies, like they're all like, I'm in New England. So like, they're all like gray and black. And I'm like, hey, fuchsia. So, (laughs) you know, a little bit of a market fit sometimes issue, but I find my people, like I find my tribe around. 
Oh, yeah. I got to tell you, I am part of your tribe, girl, because I live in New England as well. And like, give me some pink and orange at the same time. That would be good. 100%. Uh, right? And like, so, Nicole, you're just so intriguing to me because, okay, you're Air Force trained in anti-terrorism like is well that was like just part of our officer training like learning about you know obviously different parts of the world and having you know you have to have a pulse on a little bit of everything so that was just kind of part of the culture mm-hmm. um, you know if mm-hmm. i was a stock trader right i'm gonna be following wall street stuff like pretty closely sure sure of course so going back to that production place the you know when i started really digging in and learning about your business i got really excited because you're not bringing a product to a place to take advantage of inexpensive labor. You're going to a place where there are people in need of jobs and creating you're spinning straw into gold is what you're doing. You're going to a place and you're going, what is here that is garbage that I can create value or add value to with the help of people in this culture that know that product, that know the, they have connection to what with the waste and what it started out as. And they're also turning that into something that's valuable to us in our culture. And yes. I just, I, firstly, I just want to say you are amazing. And this is such a needed and beautiful transformation that you're creating, Thank not you. just with the garbage, but with the people, right? Like I've seen that in my own experience and that's, one of the things that I loved about employing people was watching. I also employed, I, I had my, you know, token male employees um, or people who identified as male, but most of the people I employed identified as, as female. And they oftentimes had um, a kind of blossoming that was very apparent. And I wonder if you've seen that with your people. Yes. I here in the U S like my, my internal team, I have, like I, we were talking before we uh, started recording about being like mama bear. Like I'm mama bear to a fault too. Like don't mess with my cubs or like, <laughs> I'm going to take my claws out. <laughs> yeah. um, and there is, there, there's kind of like this. Um, I used to almost be ashamed of it because it, it does come off as being aggressive, but it's like, there's so much at stake. So with my employees like here, I just have watched people, you know, I think about like one of my first employees, she started with me, um, maybe 1250 an hour, you know, like this was a long time ago and slinging boxes. It was her first like real job out of college. And then she went and crushed it. And she was like one of the, you know, main leadership uh, people at my company. Uh, She's transitioned on, but I have like other individuals who start in my warehouse. Again, it's everyone starts in the warehouse, I I feel, and slinging boxes. And um, I'll tell you one one story that I love. And maybe, you know, anyone who has a small business, like this is the power of, I think, as a leader, understanding people's strengths and how they can be retranslated into your business need. Um, So she came to me, she's a bartender, and then and went into the warehouse, like learned all the product there. And um, our warehouse is like, we have Wu-Tang Wednesdays, like it's a colorful, loud place. And then we wound up moving to having um, live Facebook sales. And uh, Sam is her name. She wound up like becoming the admin for this. And then I was like, oh my God, Sam, like you were a bartender, like Facebook is literally perfect for you. Like you can, um, you can totally 
just be the bartender. You're going to be Captain Sam. So we came up with a whole like persona for her, which is now a thing. And like she is, and she knows how to boot people out of the bar too. Cause you have to have kind of that personality and people get like too, too ornery in the group. And she just crushes it. And like, she went from like, you know, she makes her sales goals and like, she's crushing it. And I've just watched her go from like, not making a super ton of money to like kicking ass. I'm like, you made more money than me when I was in the military. Good for you, girl. So, um, and there's plenty of stories like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I And, you know, it's that, you know, employing people sometimes, especially for people who haven't done it. And like the, the story you shared about reaching that quarter of a million milestone to then go, okay, I need help here in this country. And I feel like I can do that on a part-time basis to start with is like, you know, it's, it seems like this big confusing thing. And all of a sudden you have to like, think about workers compensation and, and, you know, how do you do payroll and that sort of thing. But the rewards are what we just shared, right? Like that, that, that blossoming and that watching someone find their potential and really uh, love what they do. Right. Like, I, I feel like your workplace offers people a place to go to work, but that they're enjoying it and they're appreciated and they're valued for their, for their, um, their smarts and their skills and their just individuality. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. we were talking before we started recording about, um, your assistant Kate, who is the person who I have had most interaction with other than you at darn good yarn. And they are just so I can tell that they love their job. Like <laughs> I can tell, like they're, on top of their game, they respond promptly. They've always got something nice to share, uh, not to, you know, it, it's just a really, so, so with that also said, um, a well-run organization is what I see as darn good yarn. So <laughs> congratulations on all of that. Um, <laughs> and you know, with, with that, I would, um, I, if you could share just a little bit about like you, you, were you traveling? Is that how you wound up finding this kind of niche? Is that how, how did you wind no. up in Nepal to start with? I'll, I'll tell you a story, but going back real quick to um, hiring employees, I'll say like even 10 years ago, it was really difficult. And I think people do struggle with that. Just two things I'll share uh, with, with your listeners is um, that I, I love, well, Gusto, if you not, if you're not familiar with Gusto to onboard employees, like I'm not getting paid by them, but like, I wish I had that like when I was starting because it was it was exactly like workers comp like what do I do and their system does help you follow your nose so you do stay in compliance because that is it's the biggest scariest thing and I, I watch entrepreneurs hold back from hiring because of all of the hoops you have to like jump through and it's scary and if you do it wrong you are getting fined in a nasty letter from Department of Labor like that's the reality and they give you yeah. one day to respond but that's that and then the other thing I've really uh likes is a low cost solution for our team is using um, strength finder 2.0. You can get the book on Amazon. It's like under 20 bucks. And I just get like piles of them. I have my team go on, especially when they're new, go take the test. It takes 10 minutes and it really gives you your, their top five strengths so that then as a leader, you can figure out like who's going to play together and like how you can push on them um, in ways that they might not have like their past job and resume might not match up. And I think that is more critical now because I find when I interview folks, they're just, they were getting like whatever jobs they could out of college because of COVID. And I, in the past, the resume was like really, I think it was so much more important. And it's like, 
it's almost like an antiquated um, piece of paper for me at this point. Like that strength finder um, is is really more important on how they can be sort of maneuvered into the company. You know um, that I, I want to interject for one second, just for anybody who's not familiar. Gusto <laughs> is actually a platform that I also use, and it's for managing payroll and um, employee benefits. So it's yeah. like it, it's it's affordable. It's super like straightforward, and yes, like Nicole said, it's very um, it keeps you in compliance, which is super important. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about like whether or not you're doing something or overlooking something that um, is necessary. And then StrengthFinder, I have not heard of about yeah so this is really helpful for me too that's a really um something i'm going to check out and i think what i heard you said was that the resume being less important but more like the the i don't know if integrity is the right word but the way that someone's going to fit into the culture of the company right yeah I think it's more it's much more of a holistic view and like i i have personally found my hiring post-covid it's, it's just different now. Um, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm sure there are, I'm sure someone, some great HR person has already started to talk about this, but I've just noticed that it's, it's so much more about seeing someone's grit coming out of COVID. Like, what did you do during this time where nothing was going right? And, you know, you were, you were getting whatever job you could get. And there were, I had, I have people in my, um, in my organization, even who were in that boat. And it really comes down to their resolve and how they dug in. And that's, one of the characteristics that I hire for is like, I need you to be gritty doing something on pretty much no budget because <laughs> it's darn good yarn. And uh, yeah, moving from there. So, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And I, I find that um, to be really true as well. Like, yeah. you know, the education component of what makes a good com- employee is not necessarily like the higher education. It's not necessarily, you know, it, sometimes higher education is really beneficial, but it might not necessarily be in the focus area of what the employment is, but you know, it's just, it really does. I, I totally yeah. agree with just that right fit for the culture and that, that, that grittiness and that can do the attitude. Really, mm-hmm. it boils down to so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then if you could share a little bit more about how how did you get? I, I know you initially produced in Nepal, and now you're currently mm-hmm. producing in India. Do you still produce yeah. in Nepal as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, talk a yeah. little bit about that journey. So, everyone thinks like I was like in an ashram in India, and like I came up with the idea, and I didn't. I had a um, so after the Air Force, I got my a job. At a paper company, it was like the office, and I got fired from it. <laughs> Such a cocky twenty-year-old. Um, and then boohoo, what was me? But my husband, we got married super young, and uh, his job wound up putting us on the road. So like we were moving every three to six months, like full house moves. Um, so I fig- I started to work with originally someone in India who was another small business owner and she would just go to markets for me and I was able to get like five of this, six of this and I loaded up my $1,500 Dodge Caravan and I was living in California at that time and I would just go sell at craft fairs. So that's like in flea markets and that's really where I learned like selling and I didn't have any aptitude for that whatsoever. Like I was a business major, I did contracting in the Air Force, like this is so not it, but this was, you know, it interests me. And, um, I really, I was in the military prior to September 11th. And at that point, um, 
as an like as armed forces were like we were doing a lot more humanitarian work and that was really what drew me to the military um and then you know post 9-11 you know you think like we're in anti-terrorism like kind of warfare mode so for me it's always like there's always been like how can i help more of the world um so india was really just like a natural place for me to go to um so I wound up, it was online, like meeting someone and I didn't know anything about like work conditions. I, I was, I was kind of a dummy, like, and that's okay because you have to start somewhere. But, um, that was, I, I'd say that's like my, that was my Fisher price business. I like to call it. Like I still had my training wheels on. So going to do these craft shows and it was more like home goods, like, um, like home decor. So just things that you're going to hang up or like rugs, things like that. And that's really what I sold. And that kind of lost its luster for me. And I wound up finding recycled silk yarn out of Nepal. It was an overstock of one of my suppliers. And I was like, oh, I'll just buy 50 balls of this. Like I want to learn how to knit. I, this is like, this is why I say I'm such an accidental entrepreneur because it's, um, I was like, well, if I don't sell it, I guess everyone's getting scars for the next 20 years from Nicole. Like this is, what, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. So I get the yarn and I'm like, this is cool. It could be better. It could be better made for sure. And it smelled terrible. I will never forget that. Um, Cause if you process silk incorrectly, it smells like someone rubbed it under their armpit. It's absolutely gross. Um, but I'm like, there's something to this. Like it was recycled silk. It was really organic looking. Like I made, I was like, oh, this is super cool. Like I had no idea. Like I knew so little about knitting at that point. Like I didn't know that you had different weights of yarns. Like <laughs> I, I don't know what I was doing. So then um, I said, you know what? Let me put this on its own website. Talking to my friend about a name. Like what should we name it? All the stupid names. Rainbow yarn, blah, blah. Like every single bad branding decision ever. And um, <laughs> she was like, how about darn good yarn? And I'm like, that's genius. So then darn good yarn came to be and I put that yarn on there. And then as I started to order more, the lead time started to like totally expand. And I'm like, what's going on? And then one of my suppliers explains to me like, these are women making this, they're doing this in their homes at night. They're going into the fields during the day and during harvest, their hours are getting extended more. So they're not then able to make yarn as consistently. And I was like, wait, what? And then that's when the rabbit hole really expanded. And I'm like, if these women can stay in their homes, though, with their kids during the day, and this is their source of income, they're living on less than $2 a day. Like, I can make some good jobs with this. And that's why I was just, I was like, if I can just do this for 10 women, that's pretty awesome for me. And that's yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. If you're just joining the conversation, I am speaking to Nicole Snow, who is um, the CEO and accidental entrepreneur who started a company called Darn Good Yarn located in upstate New York. No, 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 I'm not right. Your warehouse York, is in New York upstate, State. Upstate, yeah, my warehouse is in upstate New York. Okay. And then I'm actually in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. That's right. So you're New England slash New York State. Um, exactly. So yeah, we're just going to take a quick break and come right back. Today's episode of Rags to Riches podcast is brought to you by the Stitcherhood Recycling Society, my online membership community for creative textile upcycling, recycling, and reuse entrepreneurs. Inspiration, shared experience, tutorials, business savvy, and connection to a whole posse of people who understand the passion and intricacies of running an environmentally kind, creative textile upcycling biz. Daily posts, weekly stitch hours, 
Book recommendations, group chats, member profiles, and strong connections is what you can expect when you join Stitcherhood. Head on over to stitcherhood.crispina.eco and sign up for a free seven-day trial to see if my Stitcherhood Recycling Society is a good fit for you and your textile upcycling business. All right. So we're back chatting with Nicole about darn good yarn. Nicole Snow is with us today. And um, we were just talking about her initial jump into finding the people who make her yarn over in Nepal and India and how that kind of journey went for her. So I have watched a lot of videos of your people in these faraway places and you're there with them. So Mm -hmm. there's like this beautiful, um, very visible connection and, and real thoughtful, uh, like caring of your people that I would love for you to share more about. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think I, I remember reading a book a couple of years ago, World of Three Zeros. And anyone who's like listening to this podcast would love that book. Um, but it goes, I think for me, right, this is like Nicole's point of view. So I can be totally wrong and I'm not an economist, but the high rates of unemployment in the regions that we're working in, we're talking double digit unemployment consistently. And What happens then is people can get taken advantage of very easily. For me, in how I manufacture, we are not introducing new technology. We're spinning yarn the way yarn's been always spun. We are using, we're making the process almost intentionally harder to just create a base level of employment to get people in that place of like, this is where a job that I can always go to. It's not this shock to the system of let's throw a ton of money at a couple of jobs and overpay for the area Um, because that's, it's not a sustainable model. And that's how we've been able, if you know, it's to use the analogy, like you're laying bricks down, right? So now I have one co-op that focuses on sorting silk. I have another co-op that focuses on, um, on sewing ribbon together. I haven't, and so as you kind of make these layers and sort of destruct, like, I guess I'm like destructure the whole process. Like usually, you know, I come from my, my background from college was in Six Sigma. So it was like lean production, make it quick, quick and cheap. And this is like almost the total opposite so that we can create more employment and that that's stability, right? Because what that's done, and again, when you've been in a region for over a decade now, like we have been, the beauty of that is, because the question I get is, well, why aren't you in Michael's? Why aren't you in the big box stores? Five years ago, I would have completely broken the system, right? And that's where you get very unfair trade practices and people get taken advantage of and all this. It had to be this very methodical thing that allows, you know, you can have now a height, like, okay, we have a little bit more of an order. We have 10% more of an order, 20% more of an order. The supply chain now can handle that. And it was a very slow process. And I was, I made that, I, it was very intentional in its design. Um, why I did grow as slow as I did. I just didn't want to, I don't want to break people. Like that's not what I'm, I'm here to do. And it's not, it's not, that's not the most profitable way to do it, but um, it's what worked for us. Which is just beautiful because honestly, like I, I you know, I think 
we're hearing more and more. I don't know if if you've also experienced this, but there's a lot of kind of contention around our capitalist um, culture and society that, you know, we need to really, really rethink that. It's not, it, it really isn't all about the dollar, right? It's really more about the people. And um, so I, I, I read a bunch about um, your triple bottom line and how mm-hmm. you actually um, track like your success as a business. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah. So if anyone's not familiar with triple bottom line, that's sort of like the old school framework of like what you're seeing now, like with B Corps and certification like that. But triple bottom line actually goes back to your own accounting. Um, I I think the term came about like in the mid 90s, Uh, but pretty much triple bottom line accounting is obviously because sometimes people think we're a nonprofit. We are a for profit business. and for me, that's important because I do think there are parts of capitalism that work, right? There's parts of capitalism that don't work at all. But I think when you have this idea of like having a holistic balance sheet, and this is the triple bottom line takes this idea, but just like for as an individual, right? You're not just going to go to the gym and then neglect your mental health and give yourself crap food to eat, right? You have to think of yourself holistically. A business, I think, is no different. So the triple bottom line framework for us outlines you have to be profitable because no margin, no mission. Like then we don't have jobs and I can't be sustainable. I am, I'm not a charity. And I don't have endowments. It also measures our people, how many people we're employing, how many new jobs we're creating, how people are growing within a company. We're measuring that. And then our effects on the planet. So how can we go back to how we source? Is this a really a darn good yarn product? If we have to, by example, source something from China because we just can't do it in an eco- we we just can't get it from India or one of our trade sources. How can we offset that in some way that doesn't make it the scary China product, right? Like, and there are things that we we get from there, like in obviously in transparency, and we say, okay, like, well, can we plant a tree for every one of these sold? Can we work with Chinese nonprofits to help, like, whatever? So, continuing to ask those questions, and when that's built into the fabric of a company, it. It's not just like, oh, we donate a percentage of our stuff to whatever. I personally hate that. It's just like, I don't want to say it's the lazy way out, but I do think it's the lazy way out. Like it's ingrained into how we run every part of our business. Um, Yeah, it's not an afterthought. It's like where you start, right? It's like the integrity of your business is based on doing good in the world (laughs) right like it's not like oh we have this business and what mm, if we give you know a donation to you know the arbor day fund or whatever people will like us better that's not what what darn good yarn is about and i i feel like that's really an important distinction it's sort of something like um you know a lot of our company you know i'm just thinking about like greenwashing in general how you know and in greenwashing like people sometimes don't realize that there's such a clear connection once you start digging in between environmental um, awareness and protection and ethical treatment of people Mm -hmm. right like there's they're they're kind of one in the same in my mind so you know when you're when you start there you're the whole like the growth is within this place of um integrity really is the word that comes to mind so um i would love to share a little bit more about your um the yarn of the month program that you guys run tell tell us about how that works okay so i told you at the top of our time here that i am a yarnaholic and anyone else who crafts like don't lie i'm looking at you 
Like we, <laughs> we hoard craft supplies. Like I, I can't help it. Um, and my yarn of the month is a subscription. Like it starts at $10. So you can start with like just a single ball of yarn that gets delivered every month. And it's made out of um, reclaimed silk. It's a color that's only for that month for subscription folks. And you can either hoard it and put it in your stash because we all know we do that. I mean, I'm sitting in my craft room as I talk to you and it's it's always embarrassing. So I'm like, yeah, there is a problem. But um, so you can get that once a month starting at $10. We give you a whole bunch of pattern ideas. We have like a great online community. It comes with a ton of perks. It's really like, okay, I'm going to be honest. I'm like really trying to start a yarn cult. So that's what yarn of the month is about. Awesome. (laughs) It's cool. It's cool. But you know, the other thing too, is like, I try to be really real about this subscription and we're, we're sending it in a, a biodegradable mailer. Like we, again, we're thinking about like everything that's going into it. So it's not a waste product, but it's, um, I, I guess it's just like when I think about yarn of the month, what excites me is that for every hundred subscribers that we have, it does create one full-time job for a month in uh, in India. So again, it's like a whole bunch of goodness. You get the yarn, you can hoard it. Like I said, um, you can go make cool projects. It's, I don't know. It's, it's a fun thing, but it also is in terms of being realistic about it. Like I have a six-year-old. So my world is like, well, what kind of mood do we have today? So my crafting gets the backseat a lot of times. And I never wanted it to be like a crazy amount of anything. I wanted it to be like this fun little gift for a, a, a crafter that they can just go, like, ooh, pretty yarn. Okay, I have to put it to the side because I have to actually like adult and I'll get to my crafting at some point. Um, so it's a really nice way to support a business too. I was just thinking about like, I have a daughter who's 16 or nearly 16 and she's like super crafty, like crochets, nets, makes all kinds of stuff. It's, it's a funny story, but I think it, it makes sense to share it. The, she had a really hard time when she was younger learning math. Like when she was six, seven years old, people would say to her, five, you know, they'd hold their hands up and, you know, five plus five equals 10. And she'd look at them and then she'd say to me, mom, why are they waving at me? Like she just didn't connect the, you know, there's five fingers on your hand, Violet. Like that's how it works, you know, but she started knitting and Uh she figured out math Uh and she started making like, I showed her how to like knit and purl, like very basic. I'm not a very experienced knitter. So I just showed her really basic stuff and that first year, and I think, well, she was in fourth grade. So she was like eight, I guess, or maybe nine. And she knit this little like rectangular bookmark for her sister. And she wrote her name in it with stitches. And I was like, oh my gosh, how did you figure that out? And she's like, I just did math. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, so, you know, a $10 (laughs) subscription for one ball of yarn in the mail for my, you know, 16 year old daughter would be such a fun thing for her. It's like a little manageable project. It's not like a huge commitment. You don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with it? And I feel like it's a really nice way to introduce um, anybody to a concept they might not have considered where, you know, it's recycled. And, you know, one thing I just want to make sure that people are making the connection of and with your product is that you're going to a place where, you know, the women who are making your yarn are, using materials that would have gone directly into their landfill. And it's like there, there's something that happens to people 
when they can take things that are going to be an, an imposition or a liability or a, a, something to contend with that's difficult, and they can turn it into something that is beautiful and valuable, right? There's, yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a neuron synapsis, something that happens in, in the brain. And then mm-hmm. there's also something that happens, like actually happens, like in tangibly seeing that this giant mountain of silk from saris is actually valuable and people right. want it. Right. So I, I think that that, um, to support that in any way that, um, is possible, I think is really important to encourage, like, you know, forget the, uh, you know, Amazon prime subscription, go for the darn good yarn subscription, <laughs> you know, like, honestly, you're going to be doing a whole lot more good in the world. And it's actually less expensive than the prime subscription. Um, so I just, um, thank you so much for sharing all of this cool stuff about yourself and your business. Thank you. Is there, um, is there anything like, I know that the, the subscription is a, is a really nice thing, a good way to support you. I would just like to encourage our listeners to go to darngoodyarn.com. Um, Nicole's presence online is really comprehensive. It's really like, there's all sorts of, I mean, it's so cool. Like you can go and watch videos of the women making the yarn. You can yeah. learn all about the team in New York state and the, in the shipping facility who, you know, the people who you might interact with if you're, you know, customer service re- requiring that kind of interaction. And, you know, it's just, it's really a lovely way and it's, it really honors every person in the company. So good job. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> really good job. I mean, you know, I, I, I run across a lot of textile upcyclers and which I love. And I just feel like you've got something really beautiful happening. And I just appreciate that. We're going, we're going for cult, cult status. Yeah. You know, yarn. Yeah. You know, a yarn cult and, uh, you know, a, a good, do good in the world cult. I'm all about it. You know, yeah, and I'll, I'll, you know, it, it, you have listeners that aren't like knitters, crocheters, like, you know, okay. We're like definitely our own group totally get it but I your story about your daughter like I've heard that story so many times like there's something and I will do too if I have to like read something really in depth I will knit while I'm reading it it just I've I've known people um one of my favorite stories like when you think about like creative and art therapy um he had severe dyslexia and the only way he got through college his grandmother taught him how to crochet and it just like it snapped his brain into being able to get through his dyslexia so he can read what he needed to do. And it was like, it's amazing and doesn't really cost all that much. That's why, you know, it's like the good things in life. Like, yeah, the cure is kind of there. I'm not saying that knitting cures dyslexia. I'm not saying that, but I think there is something too. There's something very basic and human about crafting. Right. And we, we touched, inorganic things all the time and we we sort of lose track of that and making is a part of who we are as humans totally agree totally agree and i think that you know having come through the pandemic i one of the things i heard all the time was the like it's cheaper than therapy like i can make and i can use my hands and i can connect with people you know if it was zoom or whatever like just sewing circles that you know traditionally we're sitting in a circle in a room together, but, you know, with the, um, with the tools that, that have been developed over 
time we were able to continue that. And, and, you know, using your creative brain is actually proven to like enhance the, you know, self-confidence and, and diminish stress and anxiety. So there, there are, you know, science is actually catching up with, um, you know, people who craft and realizing that there is so much good in it. So I encourage anyone who's listening who has does not have a current crafting project going on to um, change that up and maybe join a yarn cult. I think that might be a really good idea. <laughs> Thanks so much, Nicole. You can learn more about all the things we talked about on our show notes page and um, subscribe to the podcast, share it around. Be sure to um, give us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. It really helps um, more people find us so thank you for um, upcycling and thank you for listening and Nicole thank you so much for doing your awesome work in the world hey so I'm over here and I'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the rags to riches textile upcycling podcast thank you for being with me our music is provided by the lucky five Learn more about them at theluckyfive.com. Our show is produced and edited by Vandal Hyacin. If you want to dive in deep, head over to rags to riches textile upcycling podcast.com.